0: Donna Harrison has been involved with uh, Feeding the Hungry at Community of Faith for how long?
1: 15, 17
0: years. Uh, almost as long as this class has been going. 15, 17 years uh, down on 18th and Central, something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, our, we have a sister church down there. Now, what you need to know is our class pays for the food. We, we, we give through the church, through your giving, um, when we kind of do occasional offerings. And through the church, we give about $200 a month, I guess. Right. My deal is, how do you feed people once a week, every week, for 200 bucks? And uh, anyway, you can tell us part of that story. Would you guys just thank Donna for being here, and she's going to talk to us a little bit about our community faith. You. you know, today, Steve is going to talk about Amos, as I walked in,
1: and it's about injustice. But back in Isaiah, uh, he talked about the sacrifice that we give. And he says in Isaiah, he says, um, Bring in the homeless, the poor, into the house. When you see the naked, cover him and do not hide yourself. Then the light will break out like the dawn." And your recovery will speedily spring forth. And you know, it struck me as I was reading that, you know, though he was rich, for our sake he became poor. The Son of God had no place to lay his head. You know, he must have had, and still does, a great compassion for the poor and the downtrodden. The very familiar verse for all of us uh, was quoted from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim the freedom for the captives and release from darkness the prisoners. This class, your generosity, uh, we support living faith. We support living hope and community of faith. I mean, we are following after the words of our Lord and Savior. And of course, the familiar, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. And this is exactly what we do at Community of Faith. We offer a hot, home-cooked meal. Uh, It's the only meal that a lot of them will have that day, so we offer multiple plates. Last week, last Friday, we had a little girl come in. She had four plates of food, and it just kind of broke my heart. In the summer we have a lot more kids because they don't have the school lunch program. Um, Now we have homeless come but mostly they're people on Social Security that just can't make ends meet. They're SSI and they get Indian money and particularly at the end of the month the food the money begins to run out and we have a food pantry that we will give whatever they've got left, uh, you know, canned goods and and leftover things like that. And we also have a clothing closet. We're trying to clothe the naked. Um, So, but mainly, uh, we attempt to make each person feel valued. We want to be Jesus with clothes on. We want to give them respect. We don't have a food line. We serve each meal individually to these people, and we offer them a handshake, a hug, a loving word, and we give them prayer. But the other thing we do is we proclaim the good news through a short message, and we open each of our programs with singing jesus loves me now these are the unloved and they feel unlovable and that song you know most of them a lot of them did learn it jesus loves me this i know but they've forgotten because they are the downtrodden and they need to be reminded of that so um, also, each Christmas, we have a little program for them, and we try to give them a little bag of goodies, which includes hats and gloves and shampoo and things like that. Um, because we do offer Jesus to them, and we are I think we're the only church that any of them go to, um, and they look upon us as their church family. This last year, I called Steve kind of in a panic, going, how do I give a funeral? Because I was asked to do that. So, you know, that's kind of, I I have. I mean, if you hear the sound of stretching, it's me. Yeah, so we, how do we feed? Well, we do. You know, we, we struggle with it, but we also, Chartel Church of God helps out some, and we have private donations that come in. So we can make the food stretch, And but how can you help in that regard? Well, if you're cleaning out your pantry, we would take those donations as long as they're not too old. Um, we can use particularly men's clothing most of the people that come are men and we don't get a lot of men's clothes we need used socks and je- blue jeans and old t-shirts um, you know the people don't do dry cleaning so and they don't have any place to wear a suit or nice clothes so uh, also in the winter time we need coats and blankets. If you have any that you're not using, we would just love to take those. And Christmas, if any of you want to participate or buy gloves or have any old ones, we would just be blessed to have that.
0: Donna, how can we volunteer? Can
1: we help you? Sure. Anyone who would like to come down, and we're there every Friday from 10 o'clock to about mm, 1 o'clock. You're, you can come any Friday. You can sign up for one Friday a month. Um, also, you could bake. If any of you like to bake cakes um, or cookies, but, of course, they don't have teeth, a lot of them, so no nuts or anything that's hard to chew. They can't eat apples, Th- and, you if know, things you don't think about. We're fixing about
0: how many would you want to fix
1: we usually do the the last two weeks of every month, we have more people because their checks run out. So we serve about 40 on this on the third and fourth week. Now we serve less than that, sometimes as few as 10 and as much as 25 on the first two weeks. So, you know, one cake for the first two weeks, two cakes for the second. Yeah, 1815 South Central.
0: Right on the corner, on the, I'm trying to think, it's so on the north west, north
1: corner. Northwest corner. Central, as you go north, turns into Lincoln. So if you came down Lincoln and you run into a dead end there kind of near... Um,
0: like the, so by the boathouse
1: yeah like you're going to the boathouse yeah. just south of the
0: boathouse
1: yeah. yeah so that'll be Lincoln or Byers right there and it turns into Central I, I think
0: yeah. I just think it's wonderful to think that we're doing some work out of this class uh, with an inner city church but I'm going to tell you it wouldn't happen without, without Donna Harrison and uh we're just grateful for you and what you're doing. And I wanted you just to kind of tell them how we could get involved.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, you can give me a call if you have anything to donate or if you want to come on down, just give me a call.
0: So food or clothes, we just get that to you somehow. Or we can bring it down to Community Faith on Fridays when you, you're there. You
1: could do that.
0: Because there's not people there typically it here during the day. And
1: Stan and I are usually here for Sunday school. Yep. Yep. My phone number is 7, it's Donna K. Harrison, K is just the initial K, at yahoo.com. Easy enough. And it is, my home number is 773-0292. Donna, does that building have a name? It is Community of Faith faith.
0: Church. Church.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: There's a little church that meets there.
1: Yeah.
0: That's that's a sister church to us. Okay.
1: Any any other questions? I just thank you all so much for the donations throughout the year. And um, we really appreciate it. We could not do it without this class. So thank you very much.
0: And this class couldn't get it done without you. Bless you. Love you. lady's been special to me for a long time sorry when I think about her work and I think about sister Billy and how you're carrying on in her absence you know and she's cheering you on from heaven you know oh I gotta get it back together go ahead you give a message, would there you go to have that? yeah you want to come down and give a little devotion? Donna, call me and tell me when uh, when Bill Parkinson's coming down to speak, because I want to be there. And uh, yeah, all right. I'm just picking on him because he's my buddy. All right. Now, what's, this so connects the dots, Donna, with what we've been doing in Amos. Where the last week, I've really enjoyed this little study in Amos. And we're in uh, chapter 8 this week. By the way, if you want to read ahead, we will have Sunday school next week. I know it's a holiday weekend, but we'll be in Micah chapter 2. We're going to be a few weeks in Micah, so it's kind of near the same area. If you turn right, it's just a couple books over. So, um, uh, and we're going to talk. It's interesting that um, Donna kind of referenced so many of these things. Uh, the what I kind of began, if you, if you finally found an outline, you know, exploitation of other groups of people doesn't know any historical boundaries. Uh, if we think it's over in our day, we're wrong. Um, I read a story this week. Uh, there was an unemployed man who um, uh, finally finds a job. David, I think about some of our guys and how we're trying to trying to help him find jobs here and there. This guy was finally able to find a job, but he didn't have transportation. So he goes to one of these uh, buy here, pay here car lots. And um, um, uh, he signs the papers for a little car so he can get to work. Uh, His work is predicated on he's got to have a car to get there. And um, not mentioned verbally when he signs the contract is the fact that the payments were to be made semi-monthly not monthly. They just didn't bother to tell him that. He gets home, starts reading the fine print, and he realizes, if I'm going to provide the basic necessities of my family, I can't afford two car payments a week. So he had to return the car. He lost his job. And he forfeited his down payment. Those kind of things happen every day. They didn't just happen in 760-something B.C. They happened in places like Midwest City, where I came from. and All over, don't they? We've got to come to terms with our role in this. And we're going to do it again this week by studying the work and the message of this man named Amos. Now, we mentioned early on that he was from a town called Tekoa, which was about 10 miles south of Jerusalem. Now, that doesn't seem like a long way, but it's interesting in that amount of time. Jerusalem's really low, and in that amount of time, that kind of the topography changes about a half mile. Tekoa's elevation is actually uh, 2,280 feet above sea level. So it's interesting here that as we started with him, we mentioned that he was a shepherd, but as so, he kind of actually took care of a special kind of sheep, a smaller animal that produced a very desired and excellent wool. In fact, there's evidence that this kind of wool was desired by royalty in the time. And so that was one of his jobs, all right? We also mentioned that... um, He did another job. Let me explain that a little bit. The dry season every summer caused Amos to have to take his sheep west over nearer the Mediterranean Sea. He did that every year in order to have pasture for his flocks in those lower regions. He comes down from this upper area several miles away. Well, this kind of relates to his other job, or at least one of his other jobs. You remember we said early on his second occupation involved Sycamore trees, or in particular, sycamore trees that bore figs. Uh, You can read about that in Amos 7. We've looked at it in other places. These trees only grow in lower elevations in that area. And so you could argue, if you've known anybody like this, you could argue that Amos was a seasonal worker. We said early, he's not a preacher, he's a prophet, but he's not a priest. He's been given this message directly from the Lord to share, but it's not because um, because he's got any uh, particular um, um, calling in terms of uh, uh, a special place from one of the Levitical or, or Aaronic families as a priest. He's just tapped on the shoulder by God and said, I want you to go from your home in Judah. I want you to go north and share this tough message. Now, these sycamore trees that he tended uh, produced figs. Uh, these f- figs grow only in those lower areas. It could be that uh, uh, as he tended the figs, he may have worked to cut them, to to pierce or pinch the end of the figs, which hastened ripening, added to the sweet sweetness. It allowed it, it allowed any uh, kind of insects to escape. Those kinds of things, and uh, they only grew in that area in the western foothills of Judah. So. Uh, here's a guy who was a he had at least two jobs and now he's a now he's a prophet as well. Well, Amos gives three visions. We've been talking about them and um it's interesting the three visions that occur in Amos. First one was of an invasion of locusts and uh and he begins to uh you can read about that in um uh, actually, most of this comes in in chapter seven, eight, and nine that we're going to be kind of in the middle of today. And he he predicts, uh, he gets this vision of an invasion of locusts, and what does he do? He goes to his knees and begs God to not do that, and God relents. I find that intriguing. He then has a vision of uh, a ravaging fire, and again, Amos hits his knees and says, God. Don't destroy your people by fire. And God relents. The third vision, and this is the one you may have heard most about in Amos, we won't really talk much about it, but it is of a plumb line. Have you heard about the plumb line? They talk about it actually in the book of Acts. Um, um, I'm sorry, in the book of James, um, Amos, uh, he kind of refers to this plumb line. Well, the plumb line uh, is kind of God's... Vision to Amos to say, you know what? I've measured, and justice will be served. And this time, Amos was kind of convinced that justice need to be served. Now, he in the in the reaction to that goes to the king. Um, um, he um, he tells this story. And the priest of the day in the north, Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, tells him to shut up and go home back to Judah. And uh, Amos protested that he was not a prophet in any professional way. Um, And then he prophesies about about Amaziah himself. He says, you know, you're going to die in a foreign land. Your children are going to die by the sword. And your wife will become a prostitute. (coughs) Now, I just find that's interesting. He didn't just make that up. But but uh, it's like, okay, I'll go south one of these days. But in the meantime, you need to know what's getting ready to happen to you. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like, uh, um, may your wife be blessed with runners in her hose. You know that old song. <laughs> may the bird of paradise fly up your nose, yeah. Um, and yet it kind of happened. Now, I want us to go to chapter 8. Bob, I'm going to ask you to read the first three verses, if you will. Uh, again, there. In the process of Amos telling us all of these things that are about to take place in the in the north in the nation of Israel, we got some things to learn about justice. Bob, first three verses of eight. Okay, not real pleasant words, are they? But God begins it with another illustration, all right? You remember now, he's the sovereign Lord, he, and, and Amos acknowledges that as he talks here, and the sovereign Lord has talked to him about this plague of locusts, he's talked to him about the fire, he's talked to him about the plumb line, now he's, he hands him, or shows him, a basket of fruit. And, uh, and it becomes clear here, as, we, as we'll see as we study this, that the meaning here is not about the basket, it's about the fruit. Okay? Not about the basket, it's about the fruit. And uh, there's, he, he begins to say to him, what do you see? And Amos says, a basket of ripe fruit. Do you think at some point Amos said, hello, God, I'm a fig picker, okay? Do you think he said, I get it, I, I know what fruit are. Anyway, he says, hey, I see a basket of, of, of ripe fruit. Now, there is an interesting word used here, and it's actually a play on words. Uh, what God is going to say uh, to Amos and then kind of through Amos, using the word ripe. That's what goes in the next blank, okay? Um, my kids left Friday after being with us on and off for about three weeks. Occasionally, you know, we have a one-year-old. Occasionally, they put a diaper in the kitchen trash and leave it there way too long. And I had another connotation for the word ripe. Now, Jopie, you're looking really angrily at me. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay, there, there, are two, there are two meanings to the word ripe, aren't there? Wow, that's really ripe, okay? I, I begin to think about this double connotation. What does it mean here that the fruit is ripe? Now, what, what I believe God is trying to say here, as Amos says, well, I see a basket of ripe fruit. The purpose of that question is to focus Amos' attention and the people's attention... Uh, this is not a parable that's got to be explained. It's a direct question, and Amos gives the obvious answer as he goes on. And God is saying, I think, here as he deals with it. The time is ripe. God has listened, He's watched, He's observed the practices of those that are supposed to be God's people. And he is just. And he says, you know, the time is ripe. This is the end. There's not going to be a reprieve this time. And, of course, you and I know, we're at about 760 here. We know that by 722 the time is definitely ripe. And and the northern nation of Israel falls. uh, Samaria falls to the Assyrians, all that kind of stuff. Amos only knows that prediction. You know, God is really so good. He warns and he waits and he withholds judgment time and time again. But if we're set on rebellion, the consequences are kind of inevitable. Um, and, and, and I think it's interesting for me because i watch the news like you do. i read the paper like you do. And I want to cry out, uh, and I often do, Lord, I'm asking you for justice. And there are times when the Lord turns it right back on me and says, do you really want justice? Maybe it is, folks, that I need to more regularly beg him for mercy because of my own life. But just as we served here, there won't be a reprieve. Uh, This is going to be the end. And so uh, Amos was elected to kind of share that bad news. And and the imagery that he uses here in verse 3, if you remember last week when we talked about this? They were singing, you know, they were really singing. Okay, let me be with you. I don't know many of these, but they were singing beer drinking songs. Okay, they were singing, "Yo ho, yo ho, a pirate's life for me." I mean, you've been, a, you've been, a, okay, you've been to Disney. Okay, that's the only one I can think of. All right, Ellie, you only know Coca-Cola drinking songs. I know, but ask Ellie about the Coca-Cola days. All right. And he's saying, you know those songs you were singing? Those songs of revelry and you remember last week we talked about they had they, they learned to lay down and eat and drink. And they're fat and sassy and happy and celebrating. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Donna, there are people that don't have anything to eat. And God says, your songs of laughter, your songs of revelry are going to turn into songs of lament. You can put the word joy in that brief line there. Your song of joy will become lamentations. That's kind of what he's predicting. Now let's go on. Uh, Bob, can I come back to you and let you read 4, 5, and 6? Okay, so what's the result? That, by the way, that word is not resort. That word should be result. You know, spell checkers don't, don't fix stupidity sometimes. And it's all on me, right? What's the result of this exploitation? Literally here, the imagery beginning in verse 4 is that the, the result of the needy being exploited in Israel is that the poor of the land are literally perishing. They're dying. The poor of the land are perishing. And instead of their hearts going out to them, they're continuing to sing Coca-Cola drinking songs, okay? And so he's trying to get their attention here that the fruit is ripe. The fruit of your, um, of your um, uh, rebellion is ripe here. Uh, a sobering outcome. Now, one of the things we got to ask ourselves, I ask you a question to kind of hang over. Uh, I, I hope you ask yourself in prayer this this week uh, or, or really pray this to God, if you remember, if you were here last week. Do you remember the little question that comes from a song? Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours? Uh, my question is, what do you think breaks God's heart today? In terms of those who are underserved or unserved or untaken care of, I think what Donna talked to us about uh, from down in in the south part of downtown Oklahoma City is one of those things that God just laments. He just, it breaks his heart. And so we're involved. I think uh, the kids who don't have adequate educational opportunity like those at Seaworth, I think it breaks God's heart. I think the fact that, that we found one of those guys a couple of years ago, um, 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 and they kind of thought something was kind of funny. We realized that he was Ralph. You remember the story, probably. He was sleeping on the bus over the weekend. Really didn't have a home. This is a a kid that breaks my heart. That should break our heart. The fact that, and I heard about it on our in one of our news channels this week. The fact that a kid um, would really be really be hungry over the weekend because. He's dependent for that one or two meals a day on the school lunch program, and it's not happening on the weekend. And so good and godly teachers fill their backpacks with food, snack food, for the weekend. But what happens during the summer? Okay, guys, I'm not talking about Uganda. I'm concerned about that too. I'm talking about Oklahoma City places within a short drive of where you and I live, okay? So the idea here is I think I've got to ask myself constantly, who are the most vulnerable in our city and in our society? Okay, I'm going to say something more political than I probably should say, but I don't think it's a politics issue, frankly. My wife makes it a politics issue. She thinks, okay, okay. I'm going to vote for the guy who gets the right answer to this. And she's probably right. Uh, is she in here? Oh, she is in here. Okay, sorry. <laughs> if we talk about the most underserved in our culture, if we talk about the mo- those who are the most vulnerable to injustice, how about the unborn in our society? I thought I'd eventually get you going my way. Yeah, I me too. Is there anybody more vulnerable than those who have not yet been born? And I'm going to be honest with you guys. The millions that are murdered every year. It's much easier to just kind of put that out of sight, out of mind. Help us. Lord, help us. There is a direct correlation, I believe, between what we believe about human life and the direction of our society. I, read the Old Testament. When they began to get idolatrous, they also ceased to really care about the lives of others around them. That's what Amos is talking about here, including the most vulnerable. Okay, I'll get off my, my horse. But not for long. I'll be back to it. <laughs> Now, uh, look at verse 5. I think verse 5 is kind of really interesting because they're kind of whining uh, about um, kind of some worship practices and worship requirements of God. Um, uh, In fact, let's go ahead and put the word piety in the line there. There's a sense of false piety here, and they're referencing, uh, you can read about it in, uh, numbers twenty-eight. In fact, let's would somebody find numbers twenty-eight eleven? Numbers twenty-eight eleven. Okay. Uh, we're gonna hear kind of the statute here. Here's what you got to do on the first of every month. You're gonna celebrate and give sacrifices, uh, not to the moon, but because uh, there is there is regular um, lunar effect. Okay. Uh, somebody got it. Numbers twenty-eight eleven. Thank you.
1: On the first of every month, present to the Lord a burnt offering of two young bulls,
0: one ram, and seven male lambs, a year old, all without defect. Yes, ma'am. Okay, so you caught it as a Stella read reddit On the first of every new moon, there are to do what? Sacrifice. That's worship. In celebration of kind of God's faithfulness. Uh, there's a statute right here in Numbers. It's, it's talked about in other places. Now, the other one that they're going to complain about is the Sabbath. All right, and I put the reference, certainly the first reference to that is Exodus 20, verse 8, where remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, what if you'll catch it, I'm going to read verse 5 to you again from the New American Standard here. I want you to catch what they're complaining about. Now, these are the people that are fat and sassy, you know, eating while they're laying down. When will the new moon be over? so that we may sell grain. Catch that? What they're saying is, you know what, we got to take a day off and offer sacrifices and we can't open the shop. All right? That kinda, that's kind of what they're dealing with here. Let, let's go on. Let's um, And the Sabbath, that we may open the wheat market to make the bushels, and then they go on to another practice, okay? Okay, so the first thing they're complaining about is, why can't we work seven days a week, 31 days a month? Then they say, to make the bushel smaller and the shekel bigger and to cheat with dishonest scales. It's talking about dishonest business practice. Here, Bob? Uh, You know, you hear it? Dishonest scales? Um, Not given, um, you know, I think about it in in some of our lives. I think about it, am I given an honest day's work for a day's pay? You know, uh, it kind of goes both ways, doesn't it? But the idea here is they're they're approaching it with this false sense of kind of nasty sense of piety. Well, I'm going to give my sacrifices, but I don't have to like it. In fact, I wish I could work seven days a week instead of six. But I'm kind of really sorry, uh, sick of not being able to open on Saturday, and I've got to go to the synagogue, or in this case, to the temple or celebrate. Okay? That's kind of the idea. Um, There's a sense of false piety. Now what I want to be sure is when I raise my hand and my voice in worship that that's the real me doing that. I want to be sure when I write the check that it's the real me doing that. And I'm not doing it for some other outward reason that there's no sense of false piety here. And so as he goes on through all these different shady practices here in verse 6, these practices seem to be universal, and they're constant over and over and over again. talks about the winnowing process and and how they uh, um, include in the measure of wheat, they also include the chaff from the very beginning. It's kind of the husks that are left over. From the very beginning, they would throw that stuff in the air so the chaff would be blown away, and they would just sell the wheat or whatever the grain was. And yet, somebody gets home, they open their sack, and there's not two scoops of raisins in my package of Kellogg's Raisin Bread. There's a bunch of sticks and stems. That's the picture here. It's un- unethical shady. Now, I'm going to go with you, go with me if you will, to verse 9 and 10. Let's read it. This is kind of the end of it. And it'll come about in that day, declares the Lord, that I will make the sun go down at noon. I'll make the earth dark in broad daylight. Now, the Lord has uh, talked here about the land trembling. Uh, if you look earlier, uh, he's going to talk about the land trembling. And now he's going to talk about the, the uh, look, look at eight eight. Um, uh, because of this, Will not the land quake and everyone who dwells in it mourn? Okay, so the idea is that the land is going to shake, but it's also going to be dark. And we've already talked about what darkness did to them. Now he promises here, he's talking about the land quaking, and now he's promising the judgment of darkness. Darkness. Go with me as practice. Two books to the right, two or three books to the right, two short books to the right, so like three pages, to the book of Micah. And we're going to go to chapter 3. We'll be in chapter 2 next week. Therefore it will be night for you without vision and darkness for you without divination. The sun will go down on the prophets and the day will become dark over them. Now it's interesting, in, on June 15th in the year 763, so that's, a, that's right about this time. So it's two or three years before Amos' message. They had a, a, a phenomenon that took place that in history is called the Assyrian Eclipse and it scared them to death. Okay. In that region, there was a full uh, solar eclipse, and you know people were scared to death. What Amos is referring to, they're going to think of that because they lived through it. But God's, but he's saying, this is not a solar eclipse. God's going to do this. Okay. Now, look at some other examples here of of kind of their reversal of fortune. Okay. Um, um, he's gonna talk about the imagery of, um, of feasting, okay? Um, let me let me read uh, verse 10. I'll turn your festivals in the morning. So he's gonna talk about the imagery of feasting, put that first line. He's gonna talk about music. Um, your songs... I'll turn your festivals in the morning and your songs in the lamentation. Remember when, uh, I remember when Heather was a freshman at Anderson University. <laughs> and she and her roommate, who she'd been friends with since she was like five, had, um, had become roommates at Anderson University. And uh, they sat in their bed, they laid in their beds one night. And they were, they were criticized, they were kind of complaining about something was going on. And they were singing to each other. And they got too loud and their RA came down and told them to shut it down. But they were singing the blues. They were making up songs of the blues to sing to each other back and forth and back and forth. Can you imagine a 19-year-old singing the blues? That's what was happening. He's saying, I'm going to take your songs of joy and turn them into the blues. All right? And third, then, um, uh, we've kind of seen it here before, your dress. Listen to what he says. Baldness on every head. By the way, I've tried to be good, but you know. (laughs) I will bring sackcloth on every loin and baldness on every head, and I'll make it a time of mourning for an only son. At the end of it, it will be like a bitter day. So the idea is... In their feasting, in their music, even in their dress, it's going to be a different day. And he's kind of predicting that. Now, it's interesting here because I want to turn Amos's message um, into the positive one that turns out to be in some ways. Um, and and so I want you, to, we're not going to kind of go over there, but I want you to think a little bit about um, if, if you read on, if you read Amos uh, uh, 8.7, um, Um, let's look at it real quickly. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, indeed, I will never forget any of their deeds. Now, so the idea here is God will not forget. But he does desire to forget. And I kind of have to deal with the outcome of his message. The outcome of his message is he's going to look forward to the coming of the Messiah in chapter 9. And he's going to look forward to kind of another reversal of fortune In the nation. But it's not gonna come in their lifetime. And then he begins to talk about, like he does here, God's ability, he chooses sometimes to forget. Go with me to Isaiah 43, verse 25. That's gonna be back to the left about a quarter inch. Isaiah 43, verse 25. What does he want to forget? I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions. Why? For my own sake, he says, and I'll not remember your sins. What does he want to forget? He's saying to them, I'm not going to forget this. But if you just come to me. God says, I will get this holy amnesia. Now, go back left a little more to Psalm 103. One of my favorite verses in the book of Psalms. And I'll have somebody read verse 12 in a minute. Isn't it interesting that even as he he says, this is coming, it's not going to relent. In the heart of God, there is always the desire to forgive. Please listen to me there. Because that didn't come from me. That came from the Holy Spirit. In the heart of God, there's always the desire to forgive. Even if sometimes I'm unwilling to forgive. Think about it. Somebody in your life, somebody in your world, somebody really close to you has hurt you. And it's like, okay, I I might forgive, but I ain't forgetting. Isn't that interesting? That that's one of those ways that we are not functioning in the image of God. Because he is always... He always desires in his mercy and his love to forgive. And frankly, he promises. Not because he's old and feeble. Because he chooses to forget your offense. That's what Isaiah said. Somebody got Psalm 103, 12? Rhonda and I drove to the south side of town down by my office last night. And what I realized is that in Oklahoma City, you can start in south Oklahoma City, drive north, and end up north. Okay? You can start at the south pole and end up at the north pole if you go north far enough. Am I right? Am I I missing this? Fred, you're smarter than me. Am I I catching this? Have I got it? How far can you go east? Forever. How far can you go west? Forever. You just keep going west. Do you notice the imagery? God doesn't say, I will remove your transgressions from me as far as the north is from the south. He chose his words well as he gave them to David to write. He has forgiven you. I think sometimes we get a little hung up on what happened yesterday. I think we sometimes get a little hung up on what happened 25 years ago. And I, and I still, I'm, I was with a 93-year-old man a month or so ago, and he's still grieving a sin from his youth. And he was forgiven of that long time ago. And when he goes back to God, God's going to say, you know what, I took, I threw that away 70 years ago. Because he removes your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. He says in another place, to be remembered no more. Aren't you grateful as I am that in the glorious mercy of God, there is forgiveness? All I got to do is claim it, ask for it, and turn from it. Okay, we'll be in Micah chapter 2 next week. And I may... Shoot a bottle rocket in Sunday school. We'll just see. All right.